Hello, welcome to Theory Lab, and thanks for listening to the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. I'm going to be joined in a minute by my colleague, Dr. Susanna Greer, and our six guests who joined us to talk about their new publication, Overstretched and Overlooked, Solving Challenges Faced by Early Career Investigators After the Pandemic. And these six grantees, actually it's a mix of current ACS grantees and a couple of recent grantees. They're going to introduce themselves in just a minute. Real quick, let me give you their names. Doctors Brock Humphreys, Priscilla Huang, Aga Kendrick, Raj Kulkarni, Rachel Pozar, and Rebecca San Martin. They put together this publication that was kind of identifying and proposing solutions for the unique challenges faced by early career investigators. I mean, you can imagine if you're not a cancer researcher, right? It sounds hard. Well, it's harder than you think. Um, and they kind of walked us through some challenges, some, you know, pre-exist COVID. Um, and they, they walked through some of those issues, structural issues. They talked about work-life imbalance, um, promotion and tenure issues, funding issues, mentorship, networking, uh, mental health issues. And of course, they talked a lot about how COVID has changed the landscape. And they've the, the great thing is they didn't just talk about the challenges, they really propose some solutions. So before we get into the interview, I want to give a nice, a hearty thank you to two senior scientists who were pretty instrumental in all this, uh, Drs. Karen Freund and Yibin Kang. They're both American Cancer Society professors, but Dr. Freund is at Tufts University. Dr. Kong is at Princeton University. They really helped us uh, organize, uh, moderate, and drive discussion with a large group of early career investigators funded by the ACS. We had two 90-minute um, webinars where we really dove into to these issues um, facing early career investigators these days. Doctors Kong and Freund were just great at kind of setting the table and taking us through everything. And then the six scientists you're about to hear from uh, just went off and running. They, they used that as a springboard to really put forth a very thoughtful paper. And uh, so with that, let me pass it on to Dr. Greer and our guests. So welcome everyone to the podcast. We are excited to have joining us some amazing researchers who are funded by the ACS who have taken a, uh, just a, an interesting, I would say, piece of data that we at the American Cancer Society kind of, we, we threw out a survey to our scientists because we were really concerned slash interested slash really needed to know how they were doing. And we had a group of really wonderful researchers that we were funding who were willing to take this data and pull it together into a fantastic paper. So this paper is going to be published soon in a journal called Trends in Cancer. The title of this manuscript is um, Overstretched and Overlooked on Solving the Challenges Faced by Early Career Investigators in the Aftermath of the COVID Pandemic. So the, they are a wonderful group and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. So um, guys, if you're ready, go ahead. Hi, everybody. I'm Rachel Pozar. I am a nurse scientist at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and an instructor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Hi, um, I'm Aga Kendrick, and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at um, UC San Diego. 
Hello, uh, my name is Brock Humphreys and I am a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Michigan. Hello, my name is Rebecca San Martin and I am a postdoctoral fellow at University of Tennessee. Hi, I'm Raj Kulkarni. I'm an associate professor of dermatology at the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Hi, my name is Priscilla Huang and I am an assistant professor in biomedical engineering at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. All right, welcome colleagues and thank you for joining us on the Theory Lab podcast. So if you're ready, we're gonna dive in. All right, Rachel, you all used lots of different descriptors to talk about where you work and what you do, but I think one term applies to all of you, and that is that you are early stage cancer researchers. So this is a term that's probably not gonna be familiar to everyone that listens to our podcast. So the first thing, the first question I have for you is, what does that phrase early stage researcher mean to you? Sure. So an early stage researcher, um, when I think about that term, I think of anyone, uh, you know, along the trajectory of their research career, sort of starting, you know, with doctoral students, people who are in the process of getting um, a terminal degree, like a PhD, um, all the way up through, um, you know, a faculty role, such as an instructor or assistant professor, perhaps even pre-tenure associate professor, um, basically somebody who is embarking on the path to an independent research career, but um, hasn't quite attained independence yet, meaning that maybe they're not independently funded, maybe they still work with, um, you know, closely with mentors. That's what I think of. Okay, fair enough. I think that really captures what an early stage researcher could look like. And, and it's a big swath of the career stages of well, all of you who are on the podcast today and then the career stages of, of all the folks who participate in biomedical research. So I guess it's a two-part question because really the individuals who listen to the podcast are really going to have no idea what your lives look like. So maybe mm -hmm. could you help us to understand what might a day kind of in general so we're going to generalize but what might a day in the life of someone like you look like who is at this stage in your career sure um you know life would look i think slightly different depending on where a person is in their career um for example doctoral students are going to spend a lot of their time completing coursework at the beginning of their doctoral program um, whereas doctoral students who are in their dissertation phase maybe engaging in mentored research experiences, or maybe they're writing their dissertation. Um, and then a postdoctoral fellow, which you know comes afterwards, is an additional training opportunity. So there's a, still a lot of mentorship that's going on, maybe even some coursework. Um, and at that time, the, the trainee is really laying the groundwork for their career as an independent investigator. Um, and they themselves might be beginning to mentor students. And, and then you know, moving a little bit later in that career trajectory, um, those who are in a faculty role are um, typically active mentors who are beginning to launch their program of research, but they may still rely upon um, and learn from their senior colleagues. So, you know, I think for any of these roles, um, a typical day might include developing a research study, 
applying for funding, um, collecting and analyzing data, drafting and revising manuscripts. And you think about this work, a lot of it requires pretty extensive amounts of focus. So I think that's part of what has made the pandemic so challenging for uh, a lot of us who are you know, now working from home. Yeah, absolutely fair. So that's a lot. That's a lot of, uh, you mentioned applying for funding, analyzing data, drafting manuscripts, mentoring students, um, maybe collecting data, potentially seeing patients. Um, Aga, I'd, I'd like to pivot to you. So I think as Rachel indicated, even <laughs> in the best of times, so <laughs> in the before days, being a researcher and a trainee is, oh my goodness, it's just one of the most exciting times in the life of a scientist. It's you're overwhelmed with information and surrounded by just these, the, the smartest people that you'll ever be surrounded by and the best ideas and just overwhelming amounts of data and information. And in the before days, this was just, just, I, I I can remember when I was a postdoctoral fellow and a graduate student and a faculty member, I felt it was the best of times and the worst of times, right? I absolutely loved it and I absolutely felt overwhelmed. And now we find ourselves in the middle of a pandemic, which overlays an exceptional set of challenges for many researchers. But I think that early stage researchers face a set of unique challenges. So. Could you help our audience understand why they the challenges faced by early stage researchers might be different? I think as any job, when you're an early career stage of, of your career, of your job, you face more challenges. And I think Rachel kind of covered some of these challenges. And like you said, there's you know, the, the best parts of it and the difficult parts of it. So as an early career a scientist, you're going to worry about what your future might come. You want to build your network, you want to build your um, uh, research profile, you want to work on all these things. And now the pandemic happens and you have to, um, you know, you have to kind of backtrack, you have to stay home because you can't go out. And you might be a lot of early career scientists are younger people which tend to have families, um, more responsibilities. And so now they're forced to stay home and work, uh, figure out how to work when you know you have kids running around or you you might not have little kids but you are not actually generating data and that's really difficult for a career for an early career scientist because if you're not generating data you can't work on analyzing this data publishing it which is something that you really need for your career and a lot of times uh, um established investigators will already, they've had years of generating data. So they were able to just kind of go back to some of that stuff, maybe reanalyze it, or they had multiple people in their lab generating data before. So now they can, you know, pull on that. And an early career investigator might not have that. Um, it's the same with uh, um, associate professors that are just starting their labs. They are stressed over how to hire new people, what what to do, how to establish their lab. And now you can't really hire people anymore. Um, you might not have enough resources too. So there's all these other challenges that are just more difficult for um, someone who's trying trying to establish themselves as an um, independent investigator. 
That's interesting, Aga. It sounds like what you're saying is that for many early stage researchers, you're just at the starting line and you yes. feel like you've been pushed back. Is there anybody else who'd like to to add to that? Yeah, it sounds like Raj. Yeah, I'll add one thing to that. So as a clinician who has clinical duties taking care of cancer patients, I'd say not only will I echo what Aga said about everything about research, but in addition, you know, taking care of our patients, especially our cancer patients, is first and foremost um, for me and for, I know, all the other clinicians. And with the pandemic, um, there have been a lot of delays in care, which ultimately are potentially harmful to our patients. And secondly, uh, you know, I found myself having to cover for colleagues who got ill or were in quarantine. And so that is something that, you know, I and I know my other clinician colleagues have had to do and drop other pursuits, particularly research, in order to be able to do that, because ultimately that's what you know, we need to be able to do and to ensure that our patients are getting the best care that they need and timely care. Absolutely. So not only are each of you in your own ways being pushed back from the starting line where you were anticipating a a robust push off to launching your research, uh, beginning to acquire and analyze and publish data But if you had clinical duties, you have the stress of taking care of cancer patients and seeing delays in their care and then reduced research capacity as you're you're covering for colleagues. And so an an additional challenge in in your own research area. Am I interpreting that correctly, Raj? Yes. And I'd add one other thing for for the patients. Like one of the things that I've seen in the pandemic is a lot of um, care got delayed. And so people, especially cancer patients, are coming back with later stage cancer than they might have had. And that's sort of uh, difficult, you know, difficult because, you know, as a clinician, we wanted to do something. We would have wanted to intervene sooner if we could have or if that had come to our attention. And you know, now that it's later stage, it's going to take more effort and more work in order to get the right treatments. All right. Thank you both. So, Aga, I want to pivot back to you and ask the question. So, we all understood that early stage researchers were in a tough spot, and but but we couldn't understand exactly what was happening for each of you. So, Help our listeners understand what did the American Cancer Society do to try to get a, a, a window into the challenges that you were facing? Yeah, so um, ACS gave us uh, an opportunity to voice our concerns, let us, and they, they listened to what we said. So they organized two uh, workshop type of Zoom meetings for uh, postdoctoral fellows and early career investigators. And during these meetings, we did small group discussions about the uh, what are the biggest challenges that we have during the pandemic and what have institutions, our funding institutions or the institutions that we work at have done to help us overcome these challenges. And then they also ask us what can um, ACS do to um, uh, support us. And then after these workshops, they also did service on all the participants uh, where we could, you know, again, uh, submit our responses. And so they really listened to 
to they gave us the voice to to tell what our issues are, what what problems we're um, facing. So then, when we wrote this commentary, we uh, really try to include the, the voices of all those other researchers, those early career researchers that uh, participated in the survey and in the uh, workshops. So sometimes it's just nice to have your voice heard and then we can begin to act on some of what we hear. So I'd like to pivot to you, Brock, from those conversations I think it'd be interesting to know what were some of the most striking things that you learned from your colleagues? Yeah, so uh, this experience has been amazing. First of all, these are some really amazing scientists and I'm glad to have met them and worked with them. Um, but this experience, uh, experience working with uh, such a diverse group of colleagues uh, has really helped me to understand that, you know, although we are classifying everyone as early stage investigators. Um, that's that's it, it's a one term for a group that includes postdocs, early stage careers, a lot of different people. Um, the, the, the pandemic has really impacted each person differently and each person has their own distinct set of challenges um, that they have to try and deal with in order to um, be successful and progress in, in, in their career and their daily lives. Um, and Aga, Raj, they've all, and, and Rachel have uh, touched on some of those challenges um, and really these conversations that I've had we've, we've met you know once or twice a month for you know last couple months and these conversations have been really great uh, the input that everyone has put forward for writing this manuscript um, has been amazing and uh, the conversations that we've had has really expanded my thoughts about the effects of the pandemic um, and it's really introduced me to different uh, different and new ways to think about how the pandemic has affected other people um, you know, for, for, you know, to get more specific, one example, I just want to point out, it was touched on earlier, but, you know, I, I wasn't, I'm a, I live by myself. I, you know, I live by myself, not near my family. So other people have, uh, children or have parents to, to take care of, or grandparents they have to take care of. They have more caregiving responsibilities now. And that's not something I thought about before, but, you know, meeting with these people and talking about, um, the, you know, the, the things that are on their mind, it really has opened up my, um, how I think about the pandemic and how the, the outcome of the pandemic has affected people. Thanks, Brock. And I, I appreciate you pointing out that this was an incredibly diverse group. It's a large group of ACS researchers, each of whom is quite unique. Does anyone else have something they'd like to share that really struck them that they learned through this process. Yes, Rebecca. Yeah, I would like to second what Brock just mentioned with regards to the family responsibilities and where we are all, you know, in different stage in life because not only do we have do we have to deal with the responsibilities of daily research and granting and all of that, some of us have to actually be concerned about whether exposing ourselves to a work environment is going to bring the virus back home, for example, especially in the early days when we didn't know um, much, right? And we didn't have the protection of a vaccine and we, uh, we didn't have um, information of diagnostics even. So that is an extra level of stress that was faced by many of us. But I think I will second also what Brock said in that in even with a group as diverse as this, we found community and we found identity in that we were actually voicing concerns that other people in our self-level of training were experiencing. 
So at least that helped with the isolation, <laughs> that helped with the sense of we are not alone, we are all facing this together and we can come together as a group and try to provide a little bit of insight as to how to fix it, right? We are all in the same boat and we can all maybe, you know, come out together. I really love that. Thank you for sharing that, Rebecca. And I think that's something that our listeners who are cancer patients and survivors and caregivers will really be, will we'll find solidarity in is that the community and identity within a group does help to decrease isolation and increase insights to that. We're, we're not facing this alone. And I also think that our listeners will find find it really interesting that scientists, I mean, we're all just people and we we love science and we love research, but we come home to families and pets and plants and dinners to cook just like everybody else. And so our concerns about the pandemic are just like everyone else's. And and many of us were working in situations that were uh, scary in the beginning and remain scary now. I'm making a Raj who is in a clinical situation as, as we've gone full circle. You mentioned, Rebecca, in the very early stages of the pandemic, we had a lack of information. And now we have lots of information, but we find ourselves still in a scary situation. Um, so I think that that's something our listeners uh, will really, um, you know, uh, both benefit from knowing and also find some solidarity that all of you have found benefit from uh, learning from each other and, and, and really gaining from meeting each other and realizing that you're not alone. So I, Rebecca, I'd like to kind of pivot to you to help us to understand something that many of you have kind of lean towards, and that is the fact that all of you are at an early stage and you are geared towards producing data um, that is driving you to publish papers that is going to impact cancer patients. And so you are going to be in labs and working so hard and all of this productivity was in some cases brought to a screeching halt. So help us to understand maybe first of all, what are the productivity issues that are faced by early stage researchers? And then I'll have a second question to tack on to that. Yeah, so the productivity issues cannot be understated. <laughs> um, unfortunately, or as, as was so skillfully explained by Aga, uh, we are all bound by the data we produced, especially in the early stage, right? Uh, postdocs and grad students at the senior levels and early career professors are married to a particular set of experimental outcomes or a particular set of projects. And some of these projects involved very uh, concerted cell culture, um, microbial culture, research in recruiting patients, animal care. And with a global pandemic, things just had to stop, right? We didn't have the technician power. We didn't have uh, the space, the course, the, the really the availability of personnel to be taking care of all these things. So as you said, things came to a screeching halt. And when you are an early career investigator that has the one or maybe two projects and you cannot work on those projects, 
necessarily the outcomes will, the, the papers, the data, the things that are by the metrics by which we are measured, the output will definitely be heavily impacted. And of course, that's an extra source of stress and, you know, uh, a, a test to the mental fitness of people that are actually keeping, you know, with the with the story. All right. So how then did the labs function during the pandemic? So I think you've painted a really nice picture that many things came to a screeching halt. So what efforts could continue or did continue or how might you, some of you, not all of you, continue to do some work or or what did you do during this time to piece together ways to be as productive as you could, knowing the pressures that you were facing and this, I guess, time <laughs> waits for no one, right? Despite the pandemic, the clock is ticking on grad school, on postdoc, on this early career um, faculty stage where productivity is still expected. So help help our listeners to understand what you did. So at the beginning of the pandemic, the output, the scientific output for the lab was greatly diminished. I mean, we are in different states shut down at different times and we weren't even allowed back in the lab physically. Um, the act, the we had to scale uh, or actually phase out and in personnel. We were working at weird hours of the days, nights, and weekends. And of course, we also had to migrate a lot of the one-on-one -on -one training that happens in a lab setting to a Zoom-type meeting, where everybody was far away from each other. And instead of having a very immediate response to immediate experimental needs, we had to schedule a Zoom meeting and go back and forth through you know, email and stuff to be, make sure that we could focus our resources and our uh, efforts to the same concerted experiments. Um, also, labs were heavily impacted by uh, a, a lack of supply chain in plastics, in reagents, an increase in prices all over. Uh, at some point, we were, we were put in the back burner for uh, personal protection equipment like gloves, because of course the first concern is to supply the the medical field so and those things are 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 events that we haven't recuperated from we are still facing significant back orders in again reagents and plastics some of the things that we consistently use were basically taken out of the supply chain because they are not you know first priority we are still going uh the, the Zoom the Zoom context of doing science over the internet is still present. It's still a reality, right? And we are still trying to taper out the presence of people in the lab so as to minimize exposure and contagion. So, yeah, these are all very critical events that we have experienced during the pandemic, and they have exacerbated output or the lack thereof. Thanks, Rebecca. And the second question I... I wanted to know is what have you done then to try to capture some productivity in this space? Well, we have to be very um, mobile and creative. <laughs> we have to develop new resources, new techniques, new reagents um, to make sure that we can still consistently answer the questions that we that we are asked. 
I know people have gotten creative in, for example, reagent exchange or resource exchange inter-institution, uh, right? I have this type of reagent who can share this other thing. Um, we have gotten creative in accessing Zoom, Slack, Twitter, and enhancing communication methods with uh, trainees at the lower levels, like technicians and undergraduates and all of those people, so that we can create a, an unbroken thread of communication. And so it, it has required a lot of creativity. It has required a lot of uh, thinking on your feet and trying to keep the science going, regardless of, of the events around us. Hey, Raj, I'm going to pivot to you. I love what... Rebecca just shared with us. She said that in order to maintain a forward march in productivity er, during this incredibly challenging time, that researchers had to maintain an unbroken thread. But I really feel like you also had to have an unbroken spirit. This was incredibly challenging. Your creativity and your ability to be flexible um, is so impressive. So I, I imagine your stress levels are off the charts. I, I'd like for you to help our audience understand something, our listeners to understand something that many folks aren't that familiar with who listen to the podcast, um, which is something called the tenure clock. So can you help us to understand the impact of the pandemic on the tenure clock and on clinician scientists in particular? Yeah, so um, when you mentioned the tenure clock, that in general refers to um, early stage, early career researchers who have started their first independent position as um, like an instructor or as an assistant professor at a university in general, that's the title that's given. And usually the scientist has anywhere from about six to eight years of time to basically prove themselves to show that they can produce good research that is of a standard at the other peers at that same university and outside would consider to be, you know, of, of good quality of impact within the field. And for us in cancer, it would be in cancer research. And so, um, you know, right as the pandemic was happening, I was actually going up for my promotion from assistant to associate professor. And, you know, I started wondering about some of these same questions. And certainly they have become even more poignant and even more important for everybody, and in particular clinician scientists, because uh, as I mentioned earlier, the clinicians have had the same or, or potentially more clinical work, clinical duties and there's only so many hours in the day, so that has to come out of somewhere else. And uh, in, in my case, in my university, and I know several other colleagues as well, their universities are starting to become more flexible about this by giving extra time, for example. As I mentioned, there's a sort of clock of six to eight years, and I think there's a general consensus or it's starting to become a consensus that uh, early stage researchers need more time because of all these disruptions that have happened and additional duties that may have been uh, placed on the, the researchers, like clinical duties or other duties as well that had to be done. So I think that's something that is starting to get acknowledged and yet there's still quite a bit 
that needs to be acknowledged because a lot of times the reviewers are the more senior researchers that, you know, as we've also discussed that, you know, the pandemic may not have impacted as much at, at the beginning, whereas the earlier stage researchers had more of an impact because they didn't have data to fall back on. They didn't have sort of other projects, other things to fall back on when things were potentially being closed down or, or slowed down or some of the problems uh, with supply chains may have caused problems with continuing with research. Oh, okay. So you laid out really nicely that, and all of you have helped us to build to this question of how are you all doing? <laughs> because Raj, you, you laid out for us that despite the pandemic, despite the situation that you were all in, time has continued to tick. Um, the expectations remain in place for your productivity, for you to generate data and to be impactful in cancer research. And one particular word that you said is that some institutions um, have allowed extra time for early career investigators to make that impact. Um, and, and you really nicely said you, you need that extra time. The individuals who are reviewing and your tenure packages and are making these decisions about whether or not you get this extra time are not early stage investigators. They are individuals who are at the opposite end of the spectrum from where you are. They are quite distinguished and have in, I would say almost all cases, lots of data to analyze and are probably less impacted by the pandemic than anyone who we surveyed and anyone who was on this call. So our hope in talking to all of you and in your publishing this really lovely paper is to help the academic community understand that you need some help. Priscilla, I'd like to pivot to you for a question about mental health um, and just ask in general, what stuck out to you when you read the survey results around the mental health of your colleagues? So I would just maybe preface and say we had the survey kind of at, towards the beginning of the pandemic. So because of that, I was actually not extremely surprised that mental health didn't receive as high of a focus as some of the other survey categories. Um, mostly because like when the pandemic was first starting and labs abruptly shut down, I think most of us were mostly just scrambling to figure out what to do um, since we couldn't go into lab or we couldn't um, go into clinic or we couldn't get um, experimental samples um, rather than maybe thinking about ourselves and our mental state. Um, also, unfortunately, in science, mental health is not as often discussed as it should be, um, and that's extremely unfortunate because it is such an important topic. Um, however, I do believe that as the pandemic has continued on, the mental health of researchers has become a more highly discussed topic. Um, and actually, I think a lot more emphasis is being done to promote the well-being of our researchers, including our cohort of early career investigators. Um, and so, you know, as a group, when we were talking about this, we all agreed that one of the ways to significantly help in mental health is just making sure, you know, something as small as making sure that it's standard practice in the labs or within a department or even at the university level that we build a supportive and inclusive work environment. 
Um, and so, you know, we try to think of a very simple solution, you know, for example, something as simple as having work-life balance workshops so that researchers could learn tips or tricks or ways that they could separate out this work-life balance. Um, or even something very simple for a lab um, to do would be just have mental health days um, where researchers can come together, they could do team building or some activity that's not science, um, just so that, you know, we can build this environment um, that is so essential to um, a healthy mental health state. Um, and I do believe that a lot of universities, even departments and labs are starting to implement um, these ideas and they are, um, we're seeing a lot more of my colleagues even um, setting aside a day of the week or a day of a month um, where their labs can come together and just um, hang out or do something um, as a group um, that's not science so that they can all build that um, community together. Thanks, Priscilla. I 100% agree. The American Cancer Society wants you and your colleagues to be in the best place you can to continue to make the invaluable contributions that you have made. This is a place that none of us expected to be in two years ago. Um, and we are grateful for all that you've done and, and hope that we can help you to continue to be the impactful researchers that you have been and, and, and can't wait to see what you continue to do. So, so on that, our listeners are cancer patients and they are caregivers and they are survivors. And I think we'd all like to know what, what can we as an organization do to help you in what is a really challenging space? Sure. Um, actually, I think you guys have already done a lot for us, and we're extremely appreciative of that. Um, you know, I, from the beginning, we have said that we really thank the American Cancer Society for just supporting us as early career investigators. Um, one, financially, we wouldn't be able to do the science, um, but also, two, the, the support network that we built here um, has really allowed all of us to continue on in our careers, um, especially during the pandemic. Um, and we're really appreciative that you guys as an organization um, recognize that we have faced these kind of unique stressors and challenges during the pandemic. And we thank you for even giving us this platform so that we can share um, our challenges and even some ideas for solutions um, that can hopefully help us as we move forward. Um, and we are hopeful that by publishing our commentary, we'll be able to reach a large population, not just cancer researchers, but the general public throughout the world. One, we hope that our message will resonate with other early career investigators, you know, that the struggles that they might be experiencing is not unique to themselves. Actually, there's this whole cohort of us and we're all experiencing the same thing. Um, and maybe it gives them hope that we can still move forward. Um, but then also we hope that these different solutions that we discuss in our commentary um, will help decision makers to maybe implement some of these um, so that we can make changes so that and we can support early career investigators during this time. I mean, you know, we are really hopeful that these changes can be implemented because we um, not only want to preserve our cohort um, of early career investigators, but also we want to make sure that future early career investigators could see that, okay, there is a supportive network and that there is this encouraging environment so that people who might want to come into science will not be discouraged due to the pandemic, but they'll see that, okay, there's a network and I can still be successful despite all of these hurdles, um, and that they would wanna continue and pursue their dreams um, for research careers so that we can continue to advance knowledge and continue to develop treatments um, and continue to just like advance science.
I love that, Priscilla. I love ending on a hopeful note. And our CEO, Dr. Karen Knudsen, encourages every employee of the American Cancer Society to bring to her their problems, but to also bring solutions. And so I appreciate that each of you has brought to us your challenges, but you've brought solutions as well. And so we will share this report broadly um, when it's published. And I just want to congratulate each of you on your efforts. And with that, I'll close and just give you an opportunity. If there's a message you would like to share with our listeners who are in a challenging cancer space um, to do that now, Rachel, we'll start with you. Sure. So I, I think what I'd like to share for listeners is that although you're hearing about the challenges that we're facing you know, during these interviews um, and the challenges that have been associated with the pandemic, I, I want to reassure listeners that we are incredibly committed to doing this work. And, you know, I think that was largely the impetus for us to speak out. We want to make sure um, not only that we can carry on our own work, but also that, as Priscilla said, future generations of potential scientists um, will continue to be successful. And I think we all have the same end goal in mind, and, and that is improved um, outcomes, improved quality of life, and improved treatment and patient care for people with cancer. I think um, uh, Rachel very nicely summarized what I would want to share too. So just second what she said, I think it's important to, you know, it's important for us to share these challenges, but it's also important to reassure everyone that we're here in, all, in, in the long run. We believe in what we do and we will, we will continue research and hopefully sharing these challenges will give us more support and help. But we, we, our goal is to improve treatments uh, and find the solutions to these uh, um, diseases. Yeah, so mine might be a little cheesy, um, uh, I, but it's more of a, uh, I, I don't know, it's gonna be a weird analogy maybe, but so mine's a little summary, I guess, of what people have talked about. But what I wanted to say is, you know, as it, it, the pandemic, as the pandemic uh, progresses, you know, at the very beginning, we didn't know much, but as we get more data and we learn more about this virus, we start changing how we act, how we ch changing how uh, things are, are done. Um, and that's kind of how we feel about with this, this manuscript is that, you know, there's only, there's so much known out there, but when we provide this new piece of data out there, how we're dealing with it, the, the challenges that we're getting, we're hoping that that sparks some change and some change in the future that people can help implement or at least start to implement or think about um, so that these changes can be applied in the future and that, you know, we we are given um, the help that I think we, we we would like during this time where we may be overlooked uh, as the title of the paper says, we, we're overlooked and we would like that um, to not be, I guess. I think um, one of the greatest outcomes of this work is that I found a lot of very talented, very passionate people that we're all in the fight together. It doesn't matter the challenges that we faced last year. It doesn't hold a candle to the challenge of one cancer patient. So we're going to keep on doing because we love it, of course but also because we believe in the outcome. So we're all in the same boat. Yeah, and I also want to say that not only has the pandemic shown us the resilience that we all have, our commitment to our work and to investigating and 
working towards cures for cancer. But I also want to say it's, you know, redoubled our dedication to the cancer patients, to making sure that despite everything that's going on, that they also get what they need when they need it, despite everything that they're seeing, you know, that is a priority I know for me and for my clinician colleagues as well. And I don't, and I want that to be reiterated as well throughout all of this, that we, you know, things go on, life goes on, and we'll continue doing what we're doing for, for ourselves, for our patients, and for everybody. Yeah, I think that's about everything has been said. I guess the only thing I will add is that, you know, we appreciate um, having had this opportunity to meet each other as cancer researchers. And, you know, we commiserate about our pain, but we also um, hope and think that we will be able to come together in the future for science. Um, and one great thing is that because we all do such different things, so many new collaborations can be developed and that will only enhance and hopefully accelerate our own research so that we can um, significantly make a difference in patient care and um, cancer treatment. Um, and so um, I guess I would just end by saying that you know, that's probably a really positive note um, that uh, the pandemic maybe has brought us as a group of scientists together so that we can in the future work together um, even more. Well, thank you all. And I think you're just amazing and best of luck and we absolutely look forward to seeing you in for person very soon all right take care everyone